my name is Patricia King and today I have an exciting message for you to hear. Stop! What are you thinking? We can't make it look like Patricia King is endorsing fighting. <clears throat> Hi folks, uh, Chris Rosebeer here. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and your financial contributions to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. And unfortunately, we don't have the the major cash resources that Patricia King does, but we have you, our listener audience, to help uh, support us financially so that we can keep bringing this radio program to you and to the world. If you don't already support Fighting for the Faith financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. It's time... For another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Wednesday, April 11th, 2012. Yet normal edition today. Got to start laying some track on uh, reviewing what's going on out there in Sydney, Australia at the so-called Presence Conference. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Think of it this way. Lies are not reality. They are an alternate reality that competes with real reality. Uh, I apologize for the redundancy, but I'm trying to make a point. The idea is this, is that when somebody believes something about God that isn't true, they're believing a lie. And depending on the nature of that lie, that lie could damn them, okay? You think about the lie that uh, that Adam and Eve bought into when they were tempted by the devil, the, temp, the the devil wasn't interested in telling them about reality. The devil was interested in basically deceiving them, getting to them to believe, well, in an alternate reality, a reality that didn't exist. And uh, as a result of it, well, they were deceived. They sinned. Now we're all paying the consequences of that, each of us collectively. And so, uh, you, you know, in all the sin, the misery, the sufferings, the death, I mean, this world, I, I think uh, I think it's rightly described in Scripture as a veil of tears. This life is not easy. Now, by the way, you know, kind of on the topic, um, you know, my brother, by the way, he he's doing okay. He's going to be in ICU for a few more days. 
Um, you know, that being the case, so far, so good. Um, but see, brain tumors are a result of believing a lie. They really are, of Adam and Eve believing a lie. So, um, you know, each and every one of us experiences different sides of the misery, if you would. Think of misery and suffering and the wages of our sin as a multifaceted you know, piece of, well, garbage, dung, if you would. And not, if you're really <laughs> unfortunate, you get to experience all sides of that. Okay, that's not good. But each and every one of us gets to experience different pieces of it. And ultimately, we end up, well, all of us dead. So what do you got for that problem? I mean, we when we go to the doctor, we uh, we go to the doctor, you know, we say, you know, we got the sniffles or we got a sore throat or we have a cough or got an ache in a, or a pain or a boo-boo or an owie or a cut or a broken bone or whatever. And we go there with the expect expectation that the doctor is going to somehow fix things up for us. Now, if he's a witch doctor, if he's a quack, uh, his remedy, well, might be a lie may not offer any real remedy at all and in, in which case you won't, you don't want to go to that doctor well the same thing happens with people in the church okay here's the deal christianity is true jesus christ rose from the grave bodily on the third day after he was crucified under pontius pilate this is a historical fact this is reality and liars and deceivers would tell us differently or they would teach their own opinions their own ideas their own doctrines their own liver shivers their own dreams their own visions as if somehow um that's true but it isn't it's a lie so it's very important in the christian church that we understand that jesus says that it's the truth that will set you free lies and deception False doctrine, false theological systems, uh, false opinions, all this kind of stuff in the Christian church when it comes to when it pertains to Christian doctrine and what the what God has revealed, though all those things are dangerous, and many of them so dangerous, they send people to hell. This is not a game. What's at stake here on this program is your very soul. And not only your soul, maybe even the soul of your neighbor. You see, Satan doesn't want you to know the truth. Jesus said of Satan that he's the father of lies. He's been a liar and a deceiver from the beginning. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. That's Satan's realm. That's not the realm of a Christian preacher. At least it ought not to be. And when people invade the church take over pulpits, start their own movements, draw away disciples after themselves, and the currency that they're operating in are the lies of the devil, they have to be exposed. They have to be rebuked. People have to be warned, because if they're not, well, they go to hell. And that's... How, how can you say that you love your neighbor... If you won't tell him or her the truth, there's something to consider. Okay, so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. There are a, well, a couple of uh, stories or things I would like to get to today before we get into the, what we're going to begin to do is start to delve into 
and begin to look at some of the things being said at Phil Pringle's uh, presence conference. You know, they've got Stephen Furtick, uh, Kong Hee, uh, Phil Pringle, and uh, you know, is it John Bevere, uh, the uh, husband of uh, Lisa Bevere of of the Lion uh, Lioness Arise fame. But gotta tell you, there's a gentleman down in uh, Australia, a gentleman by the name of Jake Elliott, and uh, he runs a blog called C3 Church Watch. You can find it at c3churchwatch.wordpress.com, and uh, he has been doing a yeoman's work, uh, helping to get to me video and audio from the event so that I could take a look at what needs to be uh, discussed. At the moment, the pile is bigger than the time slots that I have available. But uh, what we're going to do, we're going to start today by working our, begin to work our way through some of this stuff because it needs to be gone through. Uh, what I've seen so far absolutely disgusts me, and uh, Jake assures me that it's going to get worse. <laughs> the next installments are not so good. So um, yeah, we've it, it's kind of a mini version of of the uh, Heresy Olympics going on down there in Sydney, Australia. Not quite the Code Orange revival, but. Wow, am I shocked by some of the things I'm seeing. And so I think you're going to be uh, shocked by some of the things that you're going to hear on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, especially from Kong Hee. And, uh, and oh, man, all I can say, tinfoil pyramid hats, um, bendy straws, duct tape, all that kind of stuff, you're, you're going to need it today. Uh, there's some crazy, crazy stuff. In fact, I should probably do this. Hang on. Warning. Fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. Okay, before we get to the uh, C3 Church uh, Presence Conference stuff, there's a couple of stories I want to get to. Uh, This one in particular from hotair.com. Don't worry, it doesn't mean it's not true, but the headline read, A student stands by controversial mural that shows life of a man ending in marriage and fatherhood. Uh, This is written by uh, Tina Corby of uh, hotair.com, and boy, this is an interesting story. And, uh, you know, uh, well, I, I, it's not even quite religious, but this is one of those bellwether, you need to pay attention to kind of stories. So here's how it goes Liz uh, Birendi, a 17 year old artist who attends Pilgrim High School in Warwick, Rhode Island, had to defend her artistic vision for a mural to cover a wall of the high school. The work designed to show the progression of a boy from childhood to adulthood ends with a depiction of a man standing in hand with a woman and child. The man and woman wear wedding bands. Um, Critics said the mural might not represent the life experiences of many of the students at Pilgrim High School. 
So Berendi should have to change it. Uh, fortunately, the Warwick School superintendent in, inserted himself into the controversy and insisted that Berendi should be allowed to finish the mural as she designed it. My first thought when I read this story was of the elephant dung dusted image of the Virgin Mary that once brought uh, to the New York's Brooklyn Museum of Art. When Christians complained, the common refrain was, what's the matter? It's just art. That's what I want to ask Berendi's critics now. What's the matter? It's just art. Yeah. Um. Boy, we live in a dangerous day, folks. I mean, I I do remember, you know, long time ago uh, when I was uh, younger, thinner, um, didn't have gray hair. I remember there was an artistic display of somebody who had taken a crucifix and put it into a, a you know a jar of urine and and that was put on display as art. And of course, all the liberals defended it. Well, here we've got a gal who wants to use her artistic ability to depict, you know. Guy, a kid, a boy growing up, becoming a man, getting married to a woman. And there are critics saying, oh, you can't have that. No, you can't have that. That's terrible. That's disgusting. That, oh, that. What happened to freedom of speech? You see, folks, listen. Those people who were pushing, you know, with that, the, the elephant dung covered Virgin Mary, the Jesus in the, uh, in the jar of urine, you know, the crucifix, and all that kind of stuff. Those people aren't really interested in freedom of speech. They're ideologues. They're interested in controlling you and quieting you. It's not about freedom of speech, because if it were truly about freedom of speech, they would be rushing to this girl's, well, rights under the Bill of Rights to her free expression and freedom of speech. And this is, after all, art, is it not? But we live in a day now... When the ideologues out there are absolutely insisting on redefining marriage in a way that is absolutely contrary to the way the Creator designed it and intended it. And they are so set on their agenda that they will even go so far as to find any artistic depictions of regular male heterosexual behavior, you know, some guy growing up and becoming a husband and a father, and th that can't be tolerated. That has got to go because it flies directly in the face of their ideology and their agenda. I point this out to you, even though it's not a religious story, I point it out to you because we as Christians, well, we've got a skin in this fight. So the question is, what can we do? Should we organize ourselves so that we stand up for this girl's art? Probably not. Believe it or not, the most important thing you can do is preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. You know, I was uh, you know I was listening to a a lecture by one of these seeker driven guys who pretty much you know blames the traditional church yeah it's 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 the fault of you people who are into tradition and liturgy and doctrine they, it's your fault that the church isn't growing no it really isn't um and you know <laughs> really growing i think it depends on which congregation you're asking but if we were to kind of look at uh, something here okay think back with me those of you who are old enough to remember this uh, know what i'm talking about um, back, oh boy, 16, 17 years ago, 
Um, you know, so this would be middle to late 1990s, right? Middle to late 1990s. I mean, when people thought about mainline liberal denominations, you know, like the ELCA and, and liberal Methodism and stuff like that, you know, what you, you, we all have seen these, uh, these uh, churches where you've got literally a huge building, a huge edifice, traditional in its structure, right? Um, you, you, all urban cathedrals in many senses. And you walk into these churches on a Sunday morning, and you maybe have 50, 60 people in a place that can easily seat six, seven, eight hundred people. A few gray-haired folks there. And you go, what happened here? Okay. In many cases, not all, in many cases, you know what happened? They stopped preaching the gospel. They bought into, they bought into false liberal theologies, okay, modernity and things like that. And here's the deal. Folks, uh, plain and simple, false doctrine, false theology, it's impotent. Now, you'll notice that I'm using a um, a term that has to do with procreation, okay? And I think that's the right way of putting it because you know, how does the Bible describe somebody who goes from being dead to being alive in Christ? Answer, they're born again. They're born anew. They are regenerated. And here's the deal. False doctrine, false liberalized theologies, false uh, religion is impotent. It's impotent. It is incapable of procreating. Only the gospel is capable of giving birth to somebody anew. And how is that done? Through somebody who believes it, teaches it, and confesses it, and proclaims it boldly, and confronts dead sinners with their sin, and then proclaims Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, who suffered, died, and was buried, and was raised again on the third day for their sins, for their forgiveness, for their salvation, for their justification. That gospel is extremely fertile. You preach that, and people will be brought to repentance and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And true church growth occurs only through the reproduction that occurs with the preaching of the truth. False theologies are impotent. That's why 17 years ago, and I think there's many of them still around today, these large, sprawling urban cathedrals lie empty because Christ has left the building. He left when the pastors and the people in those congregations abandoned the proclamation of the gospel in order to chase after the latest relevant wind of false doctrine. And every false doctrine, every wind of false doctrine, it's Im, it's in, it's incapable of actually reproducing Christians at all. And in the long run, it leaves, well, large buildings completely empty. Something to think about. All right. Let's start the program off proper with a little bit of email. Uh, Will writes on my Facebook wall. By the way, I, I don't know where Will is from. 
And there's no subject because it's just a baseball, uh, Facebook wall post. Uh, you know, by the way, I did check his Facebook wall to see if he was from somewhere. It, and I didn't find the geolocation of where he is. So this is this Will from Facebook. <laughs> but he asked a great question and uh, one that is worth reading. I'll read the entire post and then kind of break it up and point some things out here. Will writes, he says, Hello, Chris. I had a question regarding defending the faith and addressing false accusations. An article was written in my conference's monthly newsletter, and in the article they were supporting evolution and trying to fit it within the boundaries of creation, old creation, uh, old earth creation, or evolution mix. I wrote a rebuttal article based upon the scriptural argument for the little interpretation of Genesis as well as emphasize the end result of a different interpretation. If there's no creation, then there's no Adam. If there's no Adam, there's no original sin. Uh, nor is there now uh, no sinful nature, and if no sinful nature, no need of a savior. The responses I've received have been mixed. Within those responses have been arguments along the lines of most leading theologians believe that the historical interpretation of Genesis is inaccurate and based on current scientific findings. Uh, another uses the argument that before Copernicus, uh, people believed the sun revolved around the earth, and this is the same with modern findings regarding Genesis. I believe these are called straw man arguments because they don't address any Thing that I wrote in my article. The question I have that is most concerning is that people are accusing me of attacking the author or writing in a condescending way. The author himself accused me of attacking him personally and thinks I'm calling him a heretic because he disagrees with me. I state that when we disregard uh, original sin and place that in our theology that this is a heresy. How do you address those who falsely accuse you of attacking them? Do you try to put put out those fires, try to meet with them personally, brush them off? Any direction and help would be much appreciated. Thanks, Will. Okay, well, first of all, let's take a couple of things apart here. Um, if you'd like a list of logical fallacies so that we can properly categorize these things, I found a particular website to be of help. And uh, if, you, if you go to www.nizcore.org forward slash features forward slash fallacies, they've got a list of logical fallacies so that you can kind of keep them in their proper ordering. I, I think that helps a little bit uh, because uh, when somebody offers you criticism, if it's valid criticism, you want to address it. Okay, if it's if it's a logical fallacy, then you may or may not want to address it. And what I mean by that is this: is that at the and by the way, NISCOR is N I Z K O R. So that's www.nizcore.org forward slash features forward slash fallacies. There is a list of forty two different fallacies there. And uh, that are worth uh, taking a look at. And neither of the things that none of the things you brought up are really exactly straw men. The first one, you know, most leading theologians, none of them uh, think that Genesis should be taken literally. That's known as the logical fallacy of an appeal to authority. Okay, so that's what that logical fallacy is. And you see this often when you like look at you know uh, commercials for toothpaste. You know, the the appeal to authority would be like four out of five dentists surveyed recommend Crest over any other brand of of toothpaste. That's an appeal to authority. That somehow, well, four out of five. Dentists can't possibly be wrong. You know, he's they're all they're authorities when it comes to dental care, and if if they recommend Crest, well, then you, that has to be the toothpaste that must be the best. That's not exactly true. 
And so that that's uh, that's what one of the things you have to look at. Now, the other argument that you brought up there where one said that, well, before Copernicus, people believed that the sun revolved around the earth. And this is the same with modern findings regarding Genesis. That's actually a faulty. Uh, it's a faulty argument on this case uh, for this reason, that Jesus himself is the one cited in the New Testament Gospels, the uh, eyewitness testimony regarding uh, Jesus Christ, who, by the way, if he's truly the God-man, then he knows whether or not Genesis is to be understood allegorically or is just a figure or whether it's to be understood uh, or understood as literal history. Jesus himself views it as literal history. So you got a problem there, and that is, is that how then would you explain the fact that God in human flesh considers it to be literal history, and then the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, considers it literal history, and he argues the same way you do. So, I mean, just I want to kind of unpack those things there. So this is a misuse of the Copernicus argument, which, by the way, I, the Copernicus arg- argument actually is a perfect way of debunking the uh, logical fallacy of an argument from authority, okay? So so the idea is this. None of them are touching to the subject of what it is that you've brought up and how you've argued, and this can be very dissatisfying and actually disheartening. Don't lose heart. So let me come to your questions then. So how do you address those who falsely accuse you of attacking them? Um, what I do is plain and simple. Somebody who accuses me of attacking them, if I haven't attacked them, the way I try to diffuse the situation is by saying this, is that I'm sorry that you felt that I was attacking you personally. That was not my intent. However, that being the case, you've missed the point that I was making. And whether or not I was attacking you personally does not change my argument. My argument is thus, and, and then repeat the argument. Could you please address the su- the substance of what I said and address it biblically using a biblical argument? And so what, the, what happens is, is that what they're doing here is trying to make you the problem. And so you address the situation by making it clear that it was not my intent to attack you personally. Now, regarding the heresy charge, um, you may want to stick to your guns on that one and say, basically say, yeah, actually, I am saying that it's a heresy. It is a heresy to try to blend uh, evolutionary theory with uh, Christianity because what's at stake is the gospel itself. And you can, ar- you can even argue using something like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, both of which affirm historically that God created. Okay. And then you, you can even at this point say, not only is this a heresy because it undermines the gospel itself and changes the very nature of the message that we're to proclaim, but then it would, you know, to, the icing on the cake would be to have a follow up argument showing scientifically how evolution isn't tenable using some of the works of maybe Dr. A.E. Wilder Smith or that uh, fairly recent book, The Signature in the Cell. Great, you know, so if you can back it up. So the idea here is, is that, um, depending on it, it, it depends on the, you're always going to get critics when you attack this way. And the thing is, is that you're attacking the right thing and they're trying to change the subject and make it about you rather than what you said. Because believe me, it's a lot easier just to make you the problem rather than what you said. But you need to politely, firmly, Point out the fact that they are not addressing the substance of what you've said, that you didn't intend to attack them personally, but instead take on their ideas, 
and then point out rather forcefully and firmly that they have yet to answer any of the substance of what you've brought up in your article. So that's how it's done. And the understanding this, that, you know, you're probably not going to get a satisfactory response. That's the problem with writing these types of things. But stick to your guns and uh, and point out the fact that even though we live in a politically incorrect society, that um, the truth must be defended. And biblically, you are under orders to rebuke those who teach false doctrine. So if, you know, so you, you understand what I'm saying here? So uh, what you want to make clear is, is that, you know, hey, listen, I'm saying this is a heresy. If you're preaching this and teaching this, then, well, that makes you a heretic. But that you need to address the substance of what I've said biblically. You, you get what I'm saying? So, you know, the, the idea is, is that sometimes you address cri- uh, criticism, sometimes you don't. You'll notice that uh, there's, you know, from time to time I actually address criticism on this program, but I don't really make a habit of it because much of the criticism that I receive isn't uh, criticism that addresses the substance of what I've said. And so I want to make, uh, you know, I, when somebody who would, doesn't really offer a substantive criticism, I don't, I don't necessarily feel that my time is best spent on the program addressing them. Sometimes I'll address them via email though. Um, so it just, it just depends, but the, don't, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. That's normal. What you are experiencing is normal. And why is it normal? The answer, the reason why why it is normal is because every one of us still has our sinful nature. And we know that uh, by nature, we have these tendencies to suppress the truth in our unrighteousness. And uh, so stick to your guns and make good, solid arguments that are biblical. And when they, if somebody's publicly critiquing you and not addressing the substance of what you've said, then... Firmly, gently point out to the the fact that um, they are not a, they're changing the subject and not addressing the substance of what you said, and that you are looking forward to receiving a substantive defense of their position biblically, because that's what you offered. So I wish I could say that you know it's it's just going to be smooth sailing. You put something out there, and people are going to. Go, oh, I'm compelled by what you've said. You're absolutely right. I changed my mind. It doesn't usually happen that easily. And believe me when I tell you, standing up for the truth can get you in a lot of trouble. So welcome to the trouble. Don't lose heart. All right, what we're going to do right now is uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to begin the the task of unpacking the things that are being said and will will be said and have been said at uh, Phil Pringle's presence conference for the year 2012. This is a train wreck, and believe me when I tell you, we're just going to scratch the surface today. We got a lot. We got a lot more that we're going to be covering on this in the days ahead, and probably on into next week. So, uh, if you'd like to email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
broadcasting from his mother's basement while in a beanbag eating Cheetos. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. Hello. I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey. I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I shall be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous... So that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, Now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for fire starter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well, I, I'd better replace it then. Let's see. Uh, Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus. Well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try. 
keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Uh, warning, what you're about to hear out of the Presence Conference. <laughs> wow, I, I don't even have words for it. Just, like, hang on. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. And you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Here we go. Now, this is the music I normally use for a um, televangelist update. You'll see why in a second. It's like the Presence Conference began with an offering, and Kong Hee telling a story to bring in the numbers. That's uh, Dark Side of the Moon from Pink Floyd. Anyway, um, yeah, <clears throat> here's Kong Hee from the first night of the Presence Conference out there in Sydney, Australia. Yeah, I mean, that this guy can talk like this without ha- hanging his head in utter shame is beyond me. But here, listen in as he kind of gives the warm-up talk in order to... Grease the skids for the first offering at the Presence Conference. You got to hear this. 
presence is going to come upon us in an unprecedented way in this conference. Well, tonight I want to talk, tell you very quickly four types of giving in the Bible. Four types of giving. First type of giving is the tithe. You got to give 10% of your income to God. Leviticus 27:30. you all know this, all the tithe. All Out of context, that's written to the children of Israel. The tithe was a tax on the people who lived in the theocracy of Israel in the time of the Bible. Land. By the way, it's, support, it's there to support the Levitical priesthood because, well, the Levites didn't have an inheritance. Their inheritance was the Lord. They had the duties of taking care of the temple, so the... Well, the 10% was too well to keep up the, the tabernacle, the te uh, which became the temple, and pay for all their priestly duties. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, quoting a Bible verse out of context doesn't tell us anything there, um, Kong. It's the Lord's, is holy to the Lord. So tithing is not an option. It is a command, right? It's something that you do out of obedience. 10% of what you receive. Putting us back under the Levitical law weekly basis, a monthly basis, belongs to God. So when you give your tithe, you are really acknowledging that everything you have received is from the Lord. Now, Bible is very clear. Blessing or cursing, we can choose. So I'd rather have 90% that is blessed. Yeah, he says it so kindly. Now, the Bible says you can choose blessing or cursing. I mean, seriously, this turns God into Tony Soprano and some kind of a protection racket. Yeah, you know, I... Uh... You know, I just want to protect you from my cousin Vinny. You know, Vinny, he's, uh, you know, he's, uh, he flies off the handle a little bit. You know, he, you know, he's kind of got a temper problem. You know, I, last thing I would want to have happen is for, you know, Vinny to come in here with a baseball bat and, you know, like, like, you know, take out your kneecaps, you know, so, you know, but, you know, so you can either choose, you know, blessing or cursing, you know, it's up to you, you know, but, you know, you don't have to give me the tithe if you don't want, but, uh, you know, I, yeah. I can't protect you from Vinny if you do not. You know, that's what this does. It turns God into a mafia don. Then they have 100% that is cursed. Amen. Number one is the tithe. Now, the second type of giving is the giving of the first fruits. Now, it is the first taste of everything that God has surprisingly increased into your life. It could be a bonus. It could be a pay increment. It could be any additional income you get. And when you give your first fruits, you are acknowledging that God is sovereign. That God can make surprising things happen to you. And I want to... <laughs> well, yeah, here's the deal. God apparently can't make surprising things happen to you. And well, unless you give him a tithe and the first fruits. Yeah, see, God really wants to make surprising things happen in your life. But his hands are tied, you know. Remember... Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, Kelly Dykstra's Heavenly Blessing Gnome. We've still got to kill that thing uh, using our cannon. You know, when my son gets back from his deployment, I think we intend to put something like that together. But it, so here's the idea is like, well, you know, God, you know, he wants to make surprising things happen in your life. Well, but he can't. Nope, can't do it. Yeah, he can't do it because, well, well, you're not giving him the tithe and the first fruits. This week, surprising things are going to happen in our career in the marketplace as we take time off to be here. Amen? Now, what is the first fruit like? Now, the first fruits, the best way I can explain it, it is like two boys receiving a, a boxes of chocolates from their grandparents, from their grand, granddad. One of them grabbed the box, ran to his room, 
Open it up, rip it open, and ate all the chocolates. I cannot believe I'm looking at the video on this, and people are sitting rather than standing up and walking out in protest. Unbelievable. Do they not know that they're being fleeced? In one sitting, and pretty soon the whole chocolate box is in a mess. Now the second boy very carefully and, and, and uh, uh, open up the chocolate box in front of the granddad. And say, granddaddy, thank you so much for this gift, for this, for this chocolate. Why don't you have a first piece? Ah, that is like the first fruit. You're acknowledging God's sovereignty and you are feeling, uh, or you, you have a... Yeah, by the way, uh, overnight, uh, you know, since Sydney is like way ahead of us uh, here in Indiana, um, you know, in the, in the time zone, uh, but uh, Stephen Furtick... Uh, overnight was one of the featured speakers. So, you know, can't wait to share with that, share with you that stuff. But, you know, we still haven't got that in yet. But, <sighs> so again, the, this is Kong Heath, you know, basically greasing the skids for the first uh, offering there at the Presence Conference. Filled with thanksgiving. And the Bible gives us this guarantee, Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So this is the guarantee. Verse 10. When you give your first fruits to God, God... Notice, none of the verses are in context. At all. That should tip you off here. Bring protection on all the increase you receive into your life. Now, the third type of giving is the giving of alms. This is giving to help the poor. Giving out of a heart of compassion, a heart of sympathy, and you're giving to help those that are in need. And the Bible gives us a guarantee. He who gives to the poor lends to God. So God will ensure every giving to the poor will be reimbursed. God is going to reimburse back to you. And I know one of the highlights of Presence is that every year in the last few Presence conferences, you're always giving to the poor, helping the needy. And God is going to love you for that. God is going to bless you for that. Notice, everything is a quid pro quo. You are buying from God. This is a multiplication scam, a Ponzi scheme blamed on God. So God wants to be generous to the poor and the needy. The fourth type of giving, which is the main giving we are going to do tonight, is the giving of the seed. Now, this is coming. Oh, man, really? Called the offering, the offering, which is really your free will giving to God. Now, listen to this. When you give your tithes and your first fruits, you're not giving to God. You are merely returning back to Him what is already His. Right? You, you know, you're not really giving anything out of your free will heart to Him. You're giving out of obedience. Now, when we give alms, we are giving to the poor. We are not giving to the Lord. And God is going to reimburse us back anyway. So you're not really giving anything. But when we give our seed, we are showing our genuine love to God. And He will be moved. And he's going to explode prosperity into our lives. Wow. So, um, yeah, see, if you, if you give money to them, God's going to be moved and he's going to explode prosperity into your life.
This is not what the Bible teaches. This is shameful. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to verse 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. It's funny. I mean, do those words mean anything to you, Kong, as you're reading them? Don't give under compulsion. You're basically saying that people have to give under compulsion. You're turning God into a mafia don. Well, if you don't give the tithe, well, then the destroyer is going to come and destroy you. Yeah, you got to give, yeah, you got to give, 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 give. Oh, and you plant the seed and then God will, you know, explode prosperity. This isn't what the Bible teaches at all. This turns God into a slot machine or a genie. But God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Whenever the Bible talks about abundance, whenever the Bible talks about overflowing blessings, it always has to do with the seed. It has... Really? So abundance always has to do with the seed. How much do you want to bet... That if I were to just go into my Bible and look up the word abundance, that I wouldn't find the word seed around it. Do with the offering. I will never forget in 1992, in the uh, unboxing day, December 26th, son and I were married. They were now married for 20 years. And for our honeymoon, we came to Osfire at Brookvale. Let me tell you, we were so poor. Back then, we were so, so poor. We say, stayed at Surfer's Paradise in a small little motel. You know, and, and, and uh, we, we walked along D.Y. Beach, and we, we didn't have a lot of money. So we went to a fish and chip store, and uh, we said, we just want to have one box we're going to share. And I finished up half the bottle of sweet chili sauce. And the man was really upset. <laughs> but we, we were really poor. And then one day, Phil Pringle, uh, heard that I was in town and I was staying on fire, called me into his room and then gave me $500. That's the largest love gift anyone has ever given to me. And son and I, we went to QVB, went to Country Road. <laughs> Country Road. And I bought her a blouse for $80. It's the most expensive gift I've ever given to my wife. <laughs> for two years, the blouse was so precious. You know, we make sure that it's Washed carefully, it's kept in mint condition. I mean, those were the, our, our beginnings. Now, now when, we, when we first got married, nobody taught us about financial management. So pretty soon, we were in debt. Psalm chapter 37, verse 16. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. Huh. Weird. It says the righteous, in this case, some of them have little. Strange. Within two years of our marriage, we were $14,000 in debt. Now, it may not be a lot for many of you, for two young uh, church planters, that's a lot of money. My salary, my income in those days were only about... Psalm 52, verse 7. See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. $2,000. For son, she was only getting $800. And, and because I graduated from university, 
So it's easy for me to get credit cards. Before you know it, I have five credit cards. I was using one to pay for another. Using one overdraft facility to pay for another facility. And how many of you know, you never get out of debt by borrowing more money. We were digging a deeper hole. $14,000 in debt. And I tell you, I had sleepless night. I barely could make the payment of the interest. And we were struggling. And I was thinking, man, God, life is tough. But I will never forget, in a service much like this, in 1994, one night I was in a service like this, and there was a missionary talking about giving to God, giving your seed. And, and right there and then, I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Say, Kong, can you trust me? Will you sow the biggest seed in your life? Now, now the biggest seed in my Now, this is where he plants the seed of you giving a lot of money in your brain. And you sit there and go, oh, maybe God the Holy Spirit's telling me to give a big seed too. By the way, the Bible doesn't teach this the way he's teaching it. What was that? I mean, that was giving everything I got. How many of you know God doesn't see how much you give? He look at how much you're left behind, right? And so... Mm, the Bible doesn't say that. I felt the Lord spoke to me and said, just give everything you got. Now, that's going to be my biggest seed in my entire life. I have 2,000... Mm, yeah, so he, so he said that he, he wants somebody there to give everything they've got. You give it all to them. They'll take it... Thank, and they'll, oh, thank you, thank you for giving everything. They'll be happy to take it. $400 in my bank account. I just received my salary for the month. I happen to have my checkbook with me. I look at my wife. I say, son, I think God wants us to give everything. Son, look at me. I say, I think you're right. <laughs> God just spoke to me to give everything. So Yeah, so this is to plant the seed in their minds that somebody there, God's telling them to give everything. Night when the offering bucket came passing by, we wrote a check, $2,400. These are going to be our seed. We drop it in, and man, I tell you, my heart was pounding. I took out my wallet, I emptied all my dollars, I, I checked all the coins I have, I emptied everything in, because if God says give everything, I'm going to give everything. That night, I didn't... Don't you want to be like Kong? Don't you want to give everything? And, and, and you know, maybe God speaks to you the way he speaks to Kong, right? I have money to take the bus back. I got a hitch a ride from one of my members. We reached home. I was staying in a three-room rented flat. We were lying down in our pillow. Tears were streaming down my eyes. How am I going to survive this week? No money for grocery. No money to take the train to get to work. But I tell you, God began to do a miracle. You know, over the next six months, money came from all unexpected sources. People will have a dream. I say, God spoke to me. To give you $2,000. God spoke to me. Here's $500. This is a Ponzi scheme. This is, this is one of those pyramid schemes, you know. And who's at the top of the pyramid? Well, Kong Hee, Phil Pringle, Stephen Furtick. Yeah, they'll, those guys, they're at the top of the pyramid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just give us everything you've got. Don't worry. God knows you need money, and so he'll, he'll put dreams in the heart of other people so that they'll, they'll supply your needs. Why would I need to give everything I have to a church like C3 in Australia, where Phil Pringle 
mangles and twists God's word, doesn't rightly handle the word, is a, I think it can be demonstrated as a false prophet. Why on earth would God want me to give everything to them? Hmm? This is ridiculous. This is not, this is not a Christian or biblical teaching regarding giving at all. This is people making merchandise and teaching for shameful gain, things they ought not to teach. Uh, using King James language, this is preaching for filthy lucre. People I never met came from north, south, east, and west. In six months, I paid off $14,000 of debt, and I never was poor again ever since. Come on, get the Lord a bit. Yeah, because he planted a seed. So you got to plant a seed. If you're, you're having financial trouble, you got to plant a seed too. And that's on top of your tithe, your first fruits, and your almsgiving. Yeah. Oh, you want to clap tonight? Come on, let's give the Lord a big clap. Hallelujah. Woo! Yeah, tell them a story and they'll start writing big checks. Isn't that how it goes? That was 1994, almost 18 years ago. Since then, son and I, we travel around the world. Since then, we have our own campus, our church campus in, in the western side of Singapore. And then two years ago, we bought over the Suntech Convention Center, $310 million. Let me tell you, in two years, we have gone through hell. We're still going through it. But the valuation of property has increased by 50%. Since then, God has taken us from glory. Yeah, all these stories. I mean, I mean, he's a little more believable than Todd Bentley, but the template is the same. Jude, verse 3. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation... I found it necessary to write to you appealing to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he's kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the holy ones, or the glorious ones. But when Michael the archangel, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walk in the way of Cain, and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Yeah, you know, the way, you know, story of Cain and Abel, okay? Balaam's error, uh, what did Balaam do? For money, he was he was paid to curse Israel. Balaam, a so-called prophet, right? Well, God God showed up, all right. But Balaam's error is that he he was prophesying for money. He was you know, Balaam was kind of like this. 
So that's why Jude, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Woe to them, for they've walked in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Yeah, that's what we're we're listening to here. Banning himself for shameful gain here. Glory, but everything, all the blessings, if you ask me, can be traced back to the one night in a service like this when I didn't have anything and I have a mountain of debt, newly married, with not much hope and future. I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. But a simple act of obedience, trusting God by faith and giving my best seed. I got a feeling tonight, Pastor Phil. I have a feeling tonight. Yeah, here we go. Planting more seeds into the thoughts of people. I've got a feeling tonight. Watch this. That there are some of you here who may be in my situation 20 years ago. Maybe you're newly wed. Maybe you're stuck with with a situation of financial debt. Maybe you have visions and dreams, but you're in so much darkness, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, don't worry. We'll be happy to take everything you've got. That'll clear you right up. Tonight, I believe without any shadow of doubt that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. As long as you give your best seed, he'll supply all your needs as long as you give him a lot of money. Hallelujah. Yeah, see, you're buying those blessings. I tell you what. Now, normally I I, I I don't do this, but I just sense I just sense faith in this room tonight. Oh yeah, really? Yeah, I'm sure you sense a lot of money in the room. And I don't like to talk about numbers. I don't like to talk about figures. Yeah, this is double talk. But maybe tonight some of you need to give a big seed, a a, a big one. And yeah, big, 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 yeah. Maybe some of you need to give $100. Maybe yeah, See, I, I don't want to talk about numbers and figures. And what does he turn around doing? Talks about numbers and figures. This is double talk. Okay? This is false humility. Oh, no. No, no. I, I don't want to talk about numbers. But $100 would really... Uh, that might be a good number. But watch what he does here. $100, that's kind of like... Uh, you know, you, When you watch the infomercials, they say, So how much do you think this incredible new vacuum is? Do you think it's $600? No, it's not. Do you think it's $500? No, it's not $500. Yeah, you, you think we'd be crazy to give it away to for you for $300. It's well worth more than $300. No, 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 that's even too expensive. Don't worry. We'll give it away for you for three easy payments of $39.95. Oh, the, what a value. You're going get, to get a $600 value for three easy payments of $39.95. So, yeah, that's how the game works, isn't it? Well, Kong, he here, yeah, so he's the $100 figure, that's an opening figure just to kind of break the ice. And, you know, and like infomercial style, he's not going to go down, though. He's going to go up. Watch. You need to give $500. Maybe some of you need to give 1000 Yeah. Maybe for you, a seed, a, a huge one, 
could be $2,000. Maybe some of you, there could be just one or two couples. That God has something great in store. And maybe tonight, the Holy Spirit already has been speaking to your heart. Yeah, may, see, see, God has something big in store. But, you know, you know, he, he, he can't help you, you know. He, he, he might be sovereign, but his hands are tied. Yeah, see, he wants to help you, but it depends on how many zeros are in that check that you're about to write to the folks over there at the Presence Conference. To empty everything you got. In my life, I've done it twice. Yeah, so you should do it, at least tonight. Yeah, let me back that up. I mean, so that's the progression goes from $100 up to $500, the $1,000, $2,000 to everything you got. This is like highway robbery. I don't like to talk about numbers. I don't like to talk about figures. But maybe tonight, some of you need to give a big seed, a, a, a big one. And maybe some of you need to give $100. Maybe some of you need to give $500. Maybe some of you need to give a thousand. Maybe for you, a seed, a, a huge one, could be $2,000. Maybe some of you, that could be just one or two couples. That God has something great in store. And maybe tonight, the Holy Spirit already has been speaking to your heart to empty everything you got. In my life, I've done it twice. I can tell you, God is not going to shortchange you. Tonight, oh, yeah, yeah, God's not going to shortchange you. Why aren't the people there standing up in utter disgust and abhorrence of this false teaching? They're being taken to the cleaners. Seriously. Yeah, I, I, let me use a metaphor uh, I would seem to get pretty easily. Uh, if my pastor were to do this at our church, I guarantee you, the sermon would ha would be interrupted. People would be standing up, and he would be escorted by the elders out, out of you know of, of the church, and and basically told you're not coming back on this property. If you show up again, we will arrest you for trespassing. You are a charlatan and a crook, right? This is what Phil Pringle and the presence is all about. Don't do as I say. Do as the Holy Spirit will lead you, and you won't be wrong. Tonight, I want to challenge you. Why don't we just give the biggest seed in this opening night? Because Presence 2012 is going to change our entire life. I'm believing God for my miracle. Son is believing God. It's not a miracle. You're believing God for your miracle? You're buying a miracle. Believing. Yeah. Believing, oh man, this is just so frustrating. A miracle. Let's all believe God tonight. Let's give a seed that's going to bring forth a harvest. Amen. Now, why don't we just take out our, our, our offering card? Or if you need, uh, we, can, we can give through cash. Tonight, you could give to your American Express, your Visa card, your, your MasterCard. Don't worry, you can go in debt. All your credit cards. Tonight, if you're making a check... Or you could give to your, please make out to C3 Church. At pause, facilities available, auditorium. You could give through your C3 apps online. Those of you watching online, tonight I want to challenge you. God. Yeah, challenge me. Yeah. I will not rise to this challenge. The challenge I see is the challenge of exposing you 
for the filthy lucre, money grubbing, false prophet, false teacher, charlatan that you are. That's the challenge I see before me. No respect on any person, wherever you are, the Holy Spirit is going to touch you. You can give. Tonight, let's give a fantastic offering. Hallelujah. I, I, I believe if tonight, I just sense this, Pastor Phil. I'm, I know I didn't check with you. Yeah, I just sense this, Pastor Phil. Uh-huh. Right. I just sense if all of us, you know, at the very least, if we just give $100, $100. Yeah, that's the least. Don't give less than 100 and I'm, I'm going to double that. I'm going to give $200. And I'm in. Yeah, yeah. This is priming the pump. Big financial crunch right now. But if all of us tonight, we could just give a big seat to God. He said he's in a big financial crunch right now. I thought he just said that in, in that little testimony that he gave that he's never been poor again. How can he be in a big financial crunch? How is that even possible? Believe God that a miracle is on its way. Amen. Come, let's just pray right now. Let's just pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I just pray in the mighty name. Okay, no, you don't get to pray for us. Unbelievable. I mean, just, I am disgusted by what I've seen here. That is one of the most brazen things I have ever seen. Ever. Just, I mean, it, it, it's so bad, it's like T.D. Jake's bad. And these are the types of folks, well, that Stephen Furtick associates with. Stephen Furtick, you know, teaching there. You know, again, he's uh, he's already a televangelist. We figured that out at the Code Orange Revival. But let's move on to another section where, uh, you know, somebody's going to grease the skids for Phil Pringle to come on stage and, and let us all know that he's a prophet. Yeah, here, listen in. A huge applause. Let's thank Jesus. Yeah, now this is uh, Mark Kelsey. Uh, remember a while back we did a sermon review of his, you know, things that you say on a cross? It, that was a terrible sermon. So here is Mark Kelsey of Things You Say on a Cross fame uh, introducing um, Phil Pringle here. One time, let's thank him. He's died. He's risen. Jesus alive. Give Jesus a hand. Come on, everyone give Jesus a round of applause. Oh, my goodness. He loves to pray. Hey, uh, just, you know, this last weekend, we uh, passed a great barrier. 32 years ago, Pastor Phil and Chris uh, planted uh, our church that we're part of, C3. And out of that church, hundreds of churches and thousands of people and thousands of ministers have gone all over the globe and in all parts of the world and cities all over the place. And, uh, you know, one of the, there are many, many aspects of, of Phil's leadership, of Phil's ministry that I love, and we've been part of pretty well right from that start. But one of the most powerful things... Like yeah, I'm glad we got the part where we, you know, gave Jesus a round of applause. So now we can talk about the really important person. Yeah, Phil Pringle. ...that he has led us with is that gift of prophecy. Is that, is that gift that somehow just seeks God and, and hears... Yeah, so apparently Phil Pringle has the gift of prophecy. God and, and begins to sense what God is doing in the future. And I found out who's thankful for that? Anybody? And uh, and I remember, and I remember it's little things. It's little things. It's like I remember when we were Bible college students in the very first year in 1980, part time Bible school, 
and we were in a rented school hall in the middle of winter, and there were 10 of us on this stage. We weren't even big enough to be in the, in the auditorium of the school hall. The whole college was on the stage. And it was freezing, there was no heating, there was, it was, and one of the students was actually inside a sleeping bag uh, with a thermoflask of hot tea, trying to stay warm, and that was us, and we were shivering and trying to write our notes, and our hands were shaking like this. And then Pastor Phil had the audacity that to say, you know what, I can see in the future. I, I can see a campus and, a, and I can see our own building and I can see a three-story Bible college building and, and I can see thousands of people and hundreds of students and I can see a recording studio and, and we're like, a little bar here would be awesome right now. <laughs> Who cares about the future? Right now is what we care about. But some are a leader. Thank God for leaders. Not just leaders who lead strategically, but leaders who lead prophetically and can see the future. Look at this. Mm, yeah, I wonder if Phil Pringle saw that uh, in the in the future back there in 1980, he would have somebody on the internet calling him the false prophet that he is. Awesome. And as a result, and look, this is in the end, and and, and that seed has gone into thousands of people and, and carrying that sense of vision to the future and the cities around the world, which is awesome. So just before Pastor Phil comes to... Yeah, so he is a vision-casting prophet of God. To challenge him is to challenge God himself. You don't mess with a prophet of God. You can't question a prophet of God. They must be obeyed because they can see the future because God has let them know what's coming. We want to show you... Uh, a prophecy. You know, a little while ago, uh, the local authorities in Sydney had a different sort of audacity to say that we would never see the level of rain or water flow again that we've seen recently. But a spiritual leader had the other audacity to contradict that with a word from God. Check this out. So apparently this prophecy is to substantiate the fact that he's a prophet. In 2005, Professor Tim Flannery predicted that Sydney's dams could be empty in as little as two years due to global warming. Mr. Flannery has... Yeah, I mean, serious. I mean, anybody who has half a brain who understands that global warming is a hoax could figure this out. That Sydney will soon be facing extreme difficulties with water. Climate change expert Tim Flannery has said that even the rain that falls isn't actually going to fill Sydney's dams and river systems. He's also stated that we're running out of water and time. So an Earth in the Lurch, uh, Al Gore-type uh, global warmest, uh, predicting death and destruction and demise and the soon-to-be Sahara-like conditions there in Sydney, Australia. Again... Somebody who understands just basic real science and real climatology can tell you uh, global warming is, well, it's just not factual. I tell you another thing, that as I'm standing here tonight, God spoke to me about a really weird thing. So this is uh, Phil Pringle in June of 2008. Apparently God's told him something. You know? He said, people have said the Warragamba Dam will never be full again. 
In 2007, Mr Flannery stated that Sydney would never again get dam-filling rain and that the Warragamba Dam could be dry in just two years. He said, watch me. So, uh, March 3rd, 2012, water is spilling over the spillway at this dam. That thing is going to overflow, and as it overflows, a revival is going to come through the nation. It's like a sign. The power of God is going to touch the city with revival. The Spirit of God is going to fall on this nation. It's going to fall on this city. The power of God is going to pour down So apparently you've got two storms, the revival and the other is something about the glory of the power of God. The storm is the storm of nervous anxiety, of terror and of fear, of my glory will fill my house. Well, that's kind of a convoluted prophecy. I mean, I, you said two things, and which one was the dam again? Now we got a condition there. With my glory, says the Almighty God, my power will fall on this place. My spirit will fall on this place. My power will fall on the people. I will raise up an army of preachers and teachers and church builders. I will raise up a people who will expand this house. These seats will be full. Those seats will be full. Every service you come. Uh, enough of that boy um wow so there you have so you got kong he fleecing everybody for the uh the first offering uh you know you, you gotta make those checks big let this be your best seed yet you know and keep in mind he, he, two times he's given everything he's ever had and that's kind of the expectation that was being put on that's that's a that's some pretty tough high pressure sales tactics going on there and now before phil pringle takes the stage well we got the lead up here that he is a prophet of god and and this proves it you know even if this was a so-called fulfilled prophecy that doesn't make him a prophet of god because according to the biblical tests of a prophet number one they have to be 100 percent accurate in all of their prophecies period Somebody who says, thus saith the Lord, and the thus saith the Lord doesn't, well, come about, that person is a false prophet, and they are to be rejected. But there's another test, too. Even if what they prophesy comes true, the Bible tells us in the book of Deuteronomy, and they have you follow after false gods or false doctrine, that is not a prophet of God. That's somebody that God has sent to test. See, just because somebody can predict whether or not a dam's going to have water or not in it doesn't make them a prophet of God. What makes them truly a prophet in the biblical sense is whether or not when they open their mouth, they rightly handle and proclaim God's word and preach Christ and him crucified and raised again on the third day for our justification. Salvation by grace alone, 
through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. If that's not what the so-called prophet is preaching, he's a false prophet. Now, this is just the first installment. There's more to this that we'll get to in future uh, editions of Fighting for the Faith. But that's to get this into the public arena so that folks who are in Sydney, Australia, can warn their friends, warn their family members, warn people that they know, co-workers, to let them know that there is a false prophet on the loose whose real goal is to get into their wallets, to get into their bank accounts, to get you know checks and and debits off of their credit cards to huge dollar amounts, because that's really what all this is about. Somebody who would promote this guy as a prophet of God, you understand the implication then is to question him, to challenge him, is to actually question and challenge God. Because isn't that whom he is supposedly a visible representative here on earth of? No, he's not. He's not a prophet of God. He's a false prophet, a false teacher, and a fleecer. This is a show. This is a show designed to get huge bucks, large sums of money, and to get foolish, unstable, unwise, unlearned people to fork over lots of money. And at the end of it, you know what happens to folks like that? The promised miracle never comes. And when that happens, they lose even what little faith they may have. But it's questionable as to whether or not the faith that they had was actually saving faith in the crucified and risen Savior. All right, we're up on our second break, and when we come back, we're going to listen to three good Easter sermons. They're all short. Three good Easter sermons from three Lutheran pastors that I would say represents true prophetic preaching. Not because they're forth-telling the future or telling us what's coming down the pipe or that they're vision-casting or any other such nonsense. No, it's prophetic in this sense that they are proclaiming the revealed word of the Lord. And that's really what prophecy all about, is all about. All right, we'll be right back. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back. did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low 
prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. We're well into it here. Three good Easter sermons. Think of this as prophetic preaching. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermons come to us from various Lutheran churches, but we're going to kick off our sermon reviews today with Pastor George Borghardt III. That's what it says on the website. <laughs> you, you might know him from the Higher Things Youth Conferences. He is the uh, pastor at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in McHenry, Illinois. And this Easter sermon of his is a zinger. Yeah, I would like to posit the idea here that, well, George Borghart hears from God directly. The funny thing is, is it's not in dreams and visions. The way he does it is by opening up the biblical texts. It's true. There's God's revealed word for us right there. And he preaches it boldly he preaches it in your face, and he preaches it to kill your sins, kill your self-righteousness, drive a wooden stake through the heart of that thing, and then preach Christ and him crucified and raised again for us. It's fantastic to hear. dun dun dun, dun. Ooh, aha. Just so you know, the next two sermons, one will be from Nebraska and the other one from Texas. So let me uh, kill the music here. So uh, leading off today on our good sermon, Easter sermons that we're doing all week long, is uh, George Borghardt III and his Easter message. It's, that's just It doesn't even have a title. Here, listen in. Tell me what you think. Hallelujah! Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Laid him, past tense, as in not here anymore, risen from the dead. You, too, risen from the dead. Me, too, with him. He was dead. Now he lives. He's out of the grave, the place of sin, judgment, the law, the, and decay. Out of that place. Life has come. Our Lord is risen from the dead just as he said he would. And we who are buried with him in the waters of our baptism 
have also been raised with him to new life, new life in him. Our new life flows from him. We live, we move, we have our being because he died and he rose for us. Christ's resurrection is not some story or myth like the TV shows this past weekend have tried to make you believe. Christ's resurrection is an objective truth. It's historic in time, not once upon a time in some imaginary far, far, far away land. And his resurrection has changed the entire universe. It changed everything. Our little slivers of reality have changed too, so that we no longer live as we used to live, living from day to day, as if we don't have a Savior. No, we really do have a Savior. And he died for us on Good Friday and rose on Easter morning. Contrast this to the uncertainty of the world's religion. I believe what I believe. You go ahead and believe what you want to believe. Your truth and your God may be different from my truth and my God. Notice where the world's religion places its certainty on their opinions, on their believing, on, well, them. How certain is that? Sure, it might last for a bit, at least until something more relevant comes along, but it always ends in the grave, covered in dirt. All our opinions end when we fall asleep. But our Lord has been there. He's done that and kicked it in its teeth. Death has been conquered by the Son of God. He really did, certainly did, historically did. And that means it's true, whether you believe it or not. It happened just as he said it did, just as he said it would. Christ's resurrection is not an opinion. It's not a perspective. It's a reality that changes everything about you. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. You too will rise from the dead. The women didn't believe that morning. They went to the tomb to finish preparing Jesus' dead body for a proper burial. That's why some congregations have sunrise services. Those women had to get out to the grave at like six in the morning. Who does that? We will next year. And yet Christ rose in spite of their unbelief. He really rose to save them from their fear and their unbelief. You too. He rose to save you from your fears and doubts and unbelief too. To save you from wandering around this world trembling and afraid. Despair, loneliness, sadness, pain, real sickness, loss, rejection, abuse. Sometimes the ball doesn't bounce our way. Sometimes we end up with egg on our face, feeling like a fool. We think we are all on our own, having to rescue ourselves, like we have to look out for ourselves, do it ourselves, take care of it all by ourselves. If I don't do it, who else will? 
It's a fallen, tough world out there. Dog eat dog, people pushing one another to get by, tearing into each other, hurting one another, trying just to get by, living and acting each day as if there is no creator, no savior. And we come to church on Easter morning and we hear pastors say, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And we may not believe that. We may act and think to ourselves, yeah, that's great and all, but does that pay my late mortgage bill? Does that fix my broken heart? Pastor, does that end my loneliness? Does it bring my loved one back from the grave? Sometimes it seems like church is just handing out trite hallmark cards, answers, that will work at least until the good feeling fades and the cold reality of our stinky life comes back. Dear friends, that is life looking into the tomb without hope, trembling and afraid. There's no life in that at all. It's death. But that tomb is empty. All you will find in that tomb is an angel. He he was there, young looking and robed in white, sitting there where the body of Jesus had past tense laid. Clueless, shaking his head at you and at the disciples saying, Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? The one who was crucified on Good Friday has risen from the dead, just as he said he would. He's risen whether you believe he's risen or not. He's risen despite your unbelief and despair. And because he rose, his his tomb is empty, and so will your tomb be too. His resurrection is your resurrection. His life is your life. For Good Friday was your death, your death to sin, your death to the world, your death to the devil's hold on your life. Calvary is where you died in the waters of your baptism. Easter, Easter is your resurrection day. Your resurrection because it is Jesus' resurrection. Not a myth, not just words. Christ rose and you rose with him on Easter morning. That is who you are. You are a Good Friday and an Easter people. Dead and raised from the dead. Dead to your former life of fear. Dead to your sins and dead to the grave. New life today, risen life, because he lives, because he actually rose. That means that you have new life, new life today. Jesus rose. That means you have a God in heaven that calls himself your God. Jesus rose. That means that God, from Easter onward, would have you call him Father. He would have you call him dad. Jesus rose. That makes you God's most prized possession. In Christ, heaven is yours. Yours. They're going to shut the place down if you're not there. After all, you are in Christ. And Christ is risen from the dead. He's with the Father. And that means that you, you must be where he is. Must be certain and sure in heaven. Apart from the resurrection, there is nothing but to run away from God trembling and afraid. 
which is exactly what the unbelieving women did that Easter morning. You have too, haven't you? You've lived as if he didn't rise, as if you were on your own, trembling and afraid. That stops today. Your Lord Jesus came out of the tomb. Leave your despair and unbelief in his tomb with the rest of your sins. Leave them there. They're dead. You are alive because Jesus is alive. He lives, so get up to work in the morning. He lives, get the kids off to school, do your job, fix dinner, change that diaper. Love one another and forgive your neighbor. Live without fear. For there's the worst thing that could possibly happen to you in this world. Death has no sting anymore. Death sting stung someone else. And it was done in by the stinging. Death has been swallowed up in the death and the resurrection of the Son of God. Death cannot harm you anymore. You can wiggle wiggle your fingers. Actually, we should try this. Take your hands like this and go, neener, neener, neener. (laughs) You can do that to death and the devil. And the death and the devil can do nothing to stop you. Death is powerless against you. For you have died in Christ. You will most certainly rise with him. And not just you. You are not the only ones that go neener, neener to death now. Because Jesus rose again from the dead. Your loved ones who are buried in Christ, they will rise too, as certainly as he is risen from the dead. Dear friends, people have been asking the why of our existence ever since they could put words together. Find your why in the death and resurrection of Christ. Find your existence in receiving the Lord's death and resurrection in church. Why you do what you do, why you live the way you live, why you love one another, why you uh, take care for one another, and do that, walk the extra mile for one another. All of it is because Jesus rose for you. And when suffering is great, when the pain is so terrible that you can't even get up, and the sadness has you in tears, this is still your reality. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Cling to his robes one more day and demand him to drag you out of the tomb with him. He will. Faith believes he already has. You'll see. Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen. See the place where they laid him. Laid him. Past tense, not there anymore. Risen from the dead, you will too. And your universe, and mine too, has never and will never be the same. Alleluia. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Risen indeed. Alleluia. May the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in this Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. Now that's what I call some prophetic preaching. Now for number two good Easter sermon. This is from uh, Pastor Brent Kuhlman at Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. 
And by the way, uh, Brent has a, a, a radio program here on Pirate Christian Radio on Fridays um, during uh, the 12 o'clock hour Eastern. Uh, he and his co-host uh, do a program called Table Talk. Not to be confused with Table Talk Radio that uh, Brian Wolfmuller and Evan Gagline do. Uh, but uh, Table Talk is kind of a, a Lutheran-y title. And uh, this is actually broadcast on a terrestrial station in uh, in Nebraska itself. But here is his Easter sermon from a few days ago. Um, just here, listen in. See, see what prophetic preaching sounds like from Nebraska. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text is the Holy Gospel. Please be seated. Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, he raised the widow's son at Nain. He raised Jairus' daughter. In fact, Jesus brought the house down with laughter when he said, Oh, she's not dead, just taking a little nap. And then Jesus audaciously and categorically promised Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You remember he walked to his best friend's grave and barked out these orders to the already decomposing remains. Lazarus, come out! And he did. Grave clothes and all. But all these people eventually died again. And now, Jesus is dead. Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, off to the tomb. You go to the cemetery to do what? To pay your respects to the dead. The Lord who preached, I am the resurrection and the life, is graveyard dead. You can't get any deader. Joseph of Arimathea wrapped up the dead body and laid it in the tomb. And then the least they could do was anoint the corpse with spices. And so it's off to the grave when the Sabbath was over, the text says, to pay their respects to the dead, the dead and buried Jesus. What is this? Oh my, the tomb. It's open. The large, heavy, sealed tombstone has been moved. Oh my word, it can't be, but it sure looks like it. Yes, it's the only explanation. A tomb invasion, a break-in. Oh my goodness, trespassers have violated the tomb. No doubt they have desecrated and profaned the Lord's body. Oh, you remember he had many enemies. Wasn't it enough to viciously murder him? Can't they even leave him alone, even in his death? Do we dare look? And they do. They step into the tomb. And someone's there. Oh, the trespasser is still there. Oh, he's no intruder. No desecrator of the grave. A holy angel. Ooh, this is strange. This is very strange. You don't see angels every day, do you? But we did see them at the Annunciation and at Jesus' birth, after his temptation in the wilderness, and while he prayed in the garden. And now, here, too, you'd be alarmed as well because angels are mighty creatures. Every time someone in the Bible encounters an angel, he or she is scared stiff. And the angel says to the women, Ladies, no need to be frightened. I won't hurt you. Are you looking for the corpse, ladies? Are you looking for the body of Jesus, Jesus from Nazareth? Well, are you? Speak up, ladies. 
aren't you? Well, I've got great news for you. Get a load of this, ladies. The grave is empty. Take a look. See where Joseph laid the body. It's gone. It's no longer here. You want to know why? Because Jesus, the crucified, dead and buried Christ, right here in this tomb, I tell you, ladies, he is risen. He is risen from the dead. Brothers and sisters, that's the game changer. That is the salvation game changer. The cross is not emptied of its power because Jesus rose from the dead. Your faith in him is not in vain and your sins are forgiven. He did it. (laughs) He did it. He did exactly what he said he would do in every detail. Betrayed, condemned to death, mocked, spit upon, flogged, killed, and then the clincher. And three days later, he physically rose from the grave. Awakened from the dead, he shed his burial clothes, he folded them up, and he placed them here as he left the cemetery, never to return again to it, never to die again. And no one in the world has ever done that. Muhammad didn't. Buddha sure didn't. Joseph Smith didn't. Brigham Young sure didn't. Not even Harry Potter. No one, excluding the fictional character from Hogwarts, these dead and decayed bodies still remain in their graves, but not Jesus. And so, I will trust in Jesus. You can trust in Jesus. Because he does what he says. He does what he promises. He rose. Many saw Jesus. He really did come out of the grave. When St. Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians, he gives evidence of this fact with witnesses. The resurrected Jesus, Paul writes, appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 of the brethren at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to his half-brother James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul says, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. Yes, it's true. We are witnesses. His grave is empty. Hundreds of people saw him physically risen from the grave. He did what he promised. And therefore, Jesus is who he says he is. Who St. Mark And the centurion at the foot of the cross confessed him to be the Son of God. God in the flesh. Son of God for you who died for your sins. You too would be full of fear and awe. In the first commandment way, that is. Fearing, loving, and trusting in Jesus above all things. This is what happens when Jesus does his salvation stuff in the gospel according to St. Mark. Jesus awed and he overwhelmed folks when he taught from the word, then cast out demons on the authority of his word. When he calmed the storm, you remember, and walked on the sea, the disciples were what? Terrified, amazed, and they asked each other, who in the world is this? Even the wind and the waves, they obey him. You remember that when Jesus absolved and healed a paralytic, the citizens of Capernaum were amazed and they praised God, proclaiming, we have never seen anything like this. You remember the snickers turned to absolute astonishment when Jesus raised Jairus' dead daughter with only a command, Talitha kum. 
You remember vociferous Peter was left completely speechless, petrified into silence at the sight of Mount of Transfiguration Jesus. And as Jesus led the way to Jerusalem without hesitation for the last week of his life, the disciples, Mark says in chapter 10, were astonished. And the others who were following were absolutely frightened. And so now here at the end of the gospel at the empty tomb, first commandment, fear and awe with even greater intensity. It is absolutely incredible. This is the biggest miracle of all. He did it. He did what he said he would do. He rose from the dead. And so the shaking in their boots women now know, as every disciple of the risen Lord comes to know, that Jesus truly is indeed the Son of God with all divine power and mercy. He is here. For the crucified and risen Jesus is God himself. Yes, his resurrection proves that he's God for sinners, every one of them, including Peter, one of the worst, denied Jesus, wouldn't be seen with Jesus in his greatest need. Oh, Peter, he failed so badly. Peter, you wouldn't fear, love, and trust Jesus above all things. But Jesus died and rose even for him. And Jesus wants to tell Peter that he still loves him, always has, and that everything is forgiven and reconciled. And that's precisely, I would contend, why Peter is singled out when the angel says, Go and tell his disciples and Peter. He'll meet you in Galilee just as he promised to show them his hands and his side to absolve these sinners for all of them to confess like Thomas, My Lord and my God. You too. In his death, Jesus has redeemed you. He has purchased and won you from all sins, death, and the power of the devil. He rose for you too. This is the gospel upon which we take our stand. This is the gospel upon which we are saved. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. But the crucified and risen Jesus doesn't meet you in Galilee. You don't need to take a trip to Galilee to meet Jesus. He promises to meet you in the divine service through his word and sacrament to be God for you. In order to absolve you as well, you and me, who are no better than Peter, perhaps even worse. We are forgiven. Jesus shed his blood for all of us. And that's exactly his promise every Sunday in the sacrament given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Ah, he is the Lord, yes indeed. He's the only Lord God for you, the only one, the first commandment one for now and forever. Death does not have the last word, first commandment God Jesus does. After all, the crucified Jesus is the risen Jesus. He is indeed the resurrection and the life. His promise still holds true. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Have a happy resurrection day. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, man, was that good. (laughs) I'm just sitting here just soaking this up. Do you notice the difference between, forgive me for using a subjective argument, but notice the difference of how you feel when you're listening to a pastor proclaim Christ for you as opposed to what you heard Kong Hee doing when he was fleecing that flock or Mark Kelsey introducing the prophet Phil Pringle. 
I know it's a subjective argument. It's truly subjective. But is there not a difference? If there isn't, there ought to be. You ought to be saying, the difference is like night and day. One type of preaching leaves me shaking my head and in fear. And the other one announces to me the greatest news ever. And it's so compellingly good. How could I not at least begin to allow myself to feel hope? Hope that even a sinner like me can be forgiven. Joy at the thought. I know it's a subjective argument. It truly is. And yet, at the same time, is it not also true? Think about it. All right. Our last good Easter sermon comes to us via Living Word Lutheran Church in the Woodlands, Texas. This is Pastor, uh, the Reverend Pastor Jeffrey W. Ware. This is the gentleman who I had on the program, and we were discussing the Lectio Divina. This is his Easter sermon entitled, The Miracle of Easter. Here's Jeffrey Ware. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is risen! In the beginning of time, the Holy Trinity in perfect love called forth creation out of nothing. The Holy Spirit was there hovering over the face of the waters. The Father spoke, let there be. And His voice was the very Word of God which would become flesh. God spoke, the creation came into being, and God said, it is very good. All things, every tree and plant, every bird and fish and animal, and the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, perfectly reflected God's love and lived to give Him praise. But then, in the garden, the evil one, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, came with another word. A word of doubt, a word of pride. Did God really say, he asked, and his words found their mark in the hearts of our first parents, that first failure, the first sin, infected the universe with the curse. The once good creation, united in praise of its creator, was driven into chaos and death was born. But that most holy trinity would not let Satan win. God promised, I will send my son. He will crush the serpent's head. He will destroy the forces of evil. He will conquer death. And at that moment, faith was born. Adam and Eve believed the promise and waited with eager expectation for their deliverance. And so did those who followed them in faith. Abel and Noah, Abraham and Jacob, Moses and David, Rahab, Tamar and Bathsheba, Isaiah, 
Jeremiah, Hosea, and Malachi, and so many in between. The faithful among God's mighty chosen people praised God's love and mercy as they waited eagerly for the promised one, the Messiah, the Savior from sin. They were all looking forward, trusting in the one to come. And yet, throughout the ages, the evil one was at work too, tempting, pulling at the hearts of men with false promises and false threats and deadly deceptions. And so that most holy trinity who would not let Satan win, in holy love blessed the world through the words given to an insignificant and yet royal peasant girl of David's line. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The promise was beginning to be fulfilled. Mary and Joseph, the shepherds and the wise men, Simeon and Anna and John the Baptist rejoiced and welcomed their Savior into the world. They praised their God, the Holy Trinity, as salvation took His first breath of this poisoned air. The evil serpent was there too. Satan, the enemy of God and man, in malice and hate, he sought the destruction of God's chosen. And so he whispered in the ears of men words of doubt, words of pride. And his words again found their mark. Crucify Him! They shouted in one united voice, united in hatred, united in greed. And as God's chosen hung on that bitter cross in agony, the earth grew dark. And as He gasped His last breath, the earth quaked and the rocks split. But at the same time, The temple veil was torn in two. The graves were open and the dead came to life. Jesus, the new and perfect Adam, had accomplished what Adam should have done but did not. He lived a perfect life. And then he died for Adam and Eve, for Abel and Noah and Abraham and Jacob, Moses and David, Rahab, Tamar and Bathsheba, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea and Malachi. He died for Mary and Joseph, for shepherds and wise men and for His disciples. He died even for those who mocked and beat Him. He died not just for His friends, but also for His enemies. He died for all. And He died for you. The first voice to ring out 
with the message of salvation was not the voice of Mary or John. It was the voice of a centurion, a Gentile, the first to proclaim the good news. He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. But for a fearful Sabbath, the faithless and unfaithful disciples hid in sleepless fear and in anxiety and sorrow. They had thought that Jesus was the one, and now they mourned His loss as though He were dead, as though He had failed, and Satan won. And so that most holy Trinity who would not let Satan win rolled away the stone. The Marys came to the tomb not knowing what was in store. But soon they heard those blessed words. He is risen. He is not here. And soon the eleven at the women's testimony joined in praising the one who conquered death by death and rose again that we too might live. They together with all the church throughout all time with angels and with archangels and with all the company of heaven, proclaim the love of God in Christ Jesus. From these humble beginnings, a ragtag group of disciples and a few dedicated women grew a church, a multitude of faithful that no one except God can number united in praising and proclaiming Jesus Christ crucified and risen from death. And all across the world, these Easter weeks, God's people together shout, He is risen! Hallelujah! And yet that evil one is still at work. He will not quit. He is the tempter. Pulling at the hearts of men with false promises, false threats, and deadly seductions. Still he recruits. Still men are seduced and taken away by his lies. The enemy is still fierce and his forces are impressive. The world is on his side. And if we were to tell the truth, we must also admit that we have often believed his lies. And so the tempter whispers in our ears, it's too late. You can never be free. You can never be forgiven. But it's precisely for this reason that he came. Because it is too late for us to save ourselves. Because we could never free ourselves because it is impossible for us to earn forgiveness. For this He came. For this He died. For this He rose from death. To love you. To forgive you. To win you. To have you. Because that most holy trinity will not let Satan win. He will not win. 
the end of the story has already been written. We who believe and trust God's word simply await its fulfillment. On the last day, the trumpet will sound, the dead will rise, and we will stand before our Lord in heaven, body and soul, where sin shall harass us no more, and where we shall be united in praise of God forever. On that day, Christ shall come to judge the living and the dead, and Satan's deceiving lies will be silenced once and for all. And our hearts shall be free as they were meant to be. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Soak it in right now. Just soak this in. I'm not talking about some kind of Lutheran form of soaking prayer, but what I... (laughs) Oh, man, I can just... I know I'm going to get email, but here's the idea. Listen carefully. Who is it that this chorus, this choir of pastors that I'm playing this week, who is it that they're obsessing about? They're not preaching themselves. They are joyously, boldly proclaiming Christ. With each sermon, you're drawn into the biblical story, the story of what Christ has done for you. And his victory and conquering of sin, death, the devil, the grave. And it's all for you. Each and every pastor making that point in his own way. All for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Yes, even yours. Oh, man. This is truly, truly good news. Mark it. Listen to it. Go back to it when you need to, because next week, this isn't what you're going to hear. Next week is going to be the train wreck, the comparison. And the comparison, trust me, I know some of the sermons I'm going to play next week. The contrast couldn't be sharper. At the end of next week, you will come away saying, some of these men are Christian, Others, I don't know. And the reason you won't know is because the obvious question must be asked. If the pastors that we play next week are truly Christian pastors, what is it that makes them Christian? They miss the whole point of the gospel. They miss the whole point of the day altogether. The men that I've been playing this week, they don't miss the point. They get it. And they are always on point. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Not there to terrorize the sheep with mishandling of God's word and a mis- misapplication of law and gospel and the confusing of those two. But these are careful craftsmen who study theology in order to serve the congregations where they are called to be the shepherd. And they care for, feed, and protect Christ's sheep. These men that I'm playing this week, every one of them, they're real pastors. And they're real Christian pastors because 
they obsess about preaching Christ. Isn't that what being a Christian pastor is all about? Something to think about. We're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in his grace and mercy, won for you by Christ's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.